Welcome to In the Room. My name is Ryan Hughley, and I am here uh, with my very handsome co-host, Scott Douglas Holthouse. Scott Douglas Holthouse, extremely handsome. What are you doing doing right now? Are you? It looks like, based on uh, the Skype view that I have, it looks like. Are you sitting on the floor? Uh, No, I'm sitting on my bed in my apartment bedroom, uh, also known as the In the Room Studio. Currently. That's right. Just, I am in the I am in the conference room of my apartment complex in ah, Salt Lake. I was curious because so, you got yeah, these curtains going on. You got this office chair. I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's a nice conference center. I will give them that. Yeah. Do you have to pay to rent it? Uh, I think you're supposed to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just come in and I'm like, hey, is anybody using that? And then I just come in here. Well, we want to thank the the Rockledge Apartment Complex for sponsoring in the room and allowing us to use the conference room. Yeah, technically, I'm paying uh, quite considerably to use this conference room based on the rent rate uh, in Salt Lake, but it's fine. It's just, it's semantics. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I just got, that was a real. Uh, oh, and you're drinking LaCroix. Yeah, I want to thank our other sponsor, LaCroix, um, <laughs> for supporting the show. We have very, very sponsors. Yeah, they've indirectly been sponsoring most of what I do for years now as I suck down this delicious carbonated water. <laughs> All right, so we have an episode uh, this week. You interviewed Mike Cosper. Yep. Who is worship pastor at Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky? Yes, he, uh, he was. He was for a long time. He's still at. He's still at Sojourn. I believe he's one of the okay. elders there. But um, we get into this on the show. But he just recently ro- launched Harbor Media. Um, oh, okay. And so they really speak to the intersection of faith and culture. And uh, he's got a great couple great podcasts. But kind of their flagship uh, is uh, cultivated. And so, but we get into cool. some of that in the episode. Yeah. Great. So he's got uh, a great new book out, and he's written for the Gospel Coalition and written all over the place. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. Yeah. But he's a musician. That's yep. how he started in the ministry. You're a musician. Absolutely. And uh, so that's cool. You guys have that in common. And yeah. so I would love to talk about some of your earliest. What is your earliest musical memory as a musician? Like, when did I... you start playing and why? Well, I'll say this. The first time... Like the first memory I have of listening to music where I and like listening to songs was riding around with my mom when, you know, we'd go do like errands or something. And she would always listen to Oldies 104.3, which yeah. is the oldies station in the Chicagoland um, yeah. with Dick Biondi. Also, can we, can, we, can we just say that your mom has never been happier than right now when she got a shout out hey. on in, in the room? But, well, Joyce? And- yeah, you're a celeb, and my mom paved the way for uh, for I believe the passion for songs and whatnot. Because I remember yeah. listening to those oldies and just being like, I love. I thought it was amazing. They're like totally. these. I, I grew still, up listening yeah. to that too. They're the best. Yeah, I, I that was the first time I remember being like moved by a song. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a guitar in our house that belonged to um, an aunt of mine who had actually passed away. And uh, I, remember, I remember sitting with it on my lap, but I was too little to like put my hands around it and stuff. Yeah. But, so I would like play with that. And then, um, yeah, then I remember one day I like, my hands were just big enough to make a chord. 
and it's so how old were you then? I've never been the same ever since. Never been the same. Yeah. It was life changing. Yeah, uh, I was probably like ten, but actually, my the first instrument I played was the saxophone. Believe it or not. <laughs> I would have kept that on the inside listen, if I were you. No, no, no. Okay. Listen, listen. I, I, I don't know because it didn't pan out. I only played saxophone for like two or three years. But I think I could have been something. So much longer than necessary. I think, no, I think I could have been something. I was in seventh grade, and I was approached by our band director to move up to the eighth grade band because mm-hmm. I was blowing that saxophone like nobody's business, apparently. <laughs> but I, I actually, have so many things going through my mind right now. I told, him, I told him I didn't want to because instead I wanted to play drums because that was far yeah. more fun than the saxophone. So. And that was such a good career move on your part. Just so you know, one of the best decisions outside of your wife, the it, best decision that you've ever made. It was, it was, but I started, but get this then this band, this band director was another guy that was special because we had rented a saxophone, you know, and uh-huh. you gotta like pay money to the school and all that. And I wanted yeah. a drum set real bad. And like my, my parents couldn't afford to just buy me one. And, uh, he let him use all the rental money that we paid towards a saxophone to buy the drum set. That That's amazing? super cool. That and, is amazing. And that drum set today sits on the stage of Redemption Bible Church. That's right. The green one. The green one. It's made it. That's so, right. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So Mike and I, uh, we got to talk and we talked about a bunch of stuff, some of his background, um, uh, his, his um, time at Sojourn a bit. Uh, we got to talk about worship because obviously he's had um, a huge role kind of in that community for a while. Um, But we also talked about uh, his new book, and I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about how does that intersect with – uh, with leading people spiritually. I was, I, was, I was interested in what that looks like in worship leading and in services, and so we talked a little bit about, a little bit about that. Um, but Mike, uh, I think I said this in the close of the last episode, uh, Mike's obviously super sharp uh, if you've read anything that he's written. He's a very smart guy um, and very well-read, um, but he's also super, uh, super kind, super generous, super sweet, and we had a, yeah, we had a great conversation. Good. Does this mean that we're done talking about your musical influences and all of that? Because I was really enjoying that. Oh, we can listen. We can keep going. <laughs> I got all sorts of secrets. Do you know how? In, do you know how into Creed I was? <laughs> yes, I do. Like I absolutely I, like, do. Like put my foot up on the couch, pretending yeah. I was a guitar player into it, and yeah. so I got all sorts of yeah, uh, remember, skeletons here's, here's in the my, closet. Here's my most embarrassing Creed story. I I distinctly remember. It was my freshman year in college, Trinity International University in Deerfield, Illinois. Shout out. <clears throat> another Went there out of a football scholarship. Another sponsor of the podcast. Super, that's right. <laughs> and uh, it was a super, just like, it's a long, sad sack story, but <clears throat> I was having a really rough year. Mm-hmm. I did not enjoy myself at all. And I distinctly remember this one just like super rainy, cold, depressing fall Chicago day. Yeah. And I was walking on the sidewalk from my dorm over to what we call the cafeteria and shouldn't have because it was so gross. Yeah. <clears throat> and they've since upgraded. But I was listening to Creed. Um, she's probably on 
I don't even know if it would have been on. I mean, it would have been like on a Discman, yeah. probably. Probably the yellow and, Discman that was like yep. shockproof. Yeah. Shockproof in case you dropped it. Yep. And I was listening to With Arms Wide Open. I knew that was going to be the song. I knew dude, it. Dude, I was so sad and depressed. <laughs> I was like crying yeah. my way through the rain. Yeah. Just listening to just Scott Staff was just really speaking my love language. He was, t- he was tearing you up. He did many people. Yeah. He did. That's yeah. amazing. So, anyways. Probably shouldn't have told that story, but yeah. um, wait, real right quick, along. real quick. Do you yeah. did you do you remember like going for a jog with your discman? <laughs> yeah, I remember running to. with it, and it skip like every thirty seconds. Yeah, and just like just to run with this like thing that was like eight inches in diameter and like two and a half yeah. inches thick. I don't know. They made we... like belt packs for them too. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty much like a neoprene like fanny pack that yeah. would hold your discman. But yeah. shook so much when you ran yeah. that it would just like skip constantly. It was not a it was not a great device. CDs. I feel like you know how people listen to records and like vinyl. Yep. And there's some nostalgia. There's even some like yeah. the, people are like, oh, it sounds better, which is debatable. Yeah. But um, uh, I feel like CDs and cassettes. Like no one's ever going to be like, oh, that was so awesome. No, when, but you do know, you know? I think this is so embarrassing. But do you know that? Uh, uh, Urban Outfitters sells cassette tapes again. Oh gosh! Don't buy. Listen, Urban this Out- is, let, this- let let the record show. Urban Outfitters is not a sponsor yeah. of this week's episode. Nor will ever because be. They sell- <laughs> Nor will ever be for many reasons, but one because they sell cassettes. <laughs> I just feel bad for all the people who think that those are like, like oh. oh man, this is such a such a nostalgic experience. <laughs> I remember listening to. I remember listening to Oasis on cassette tape. Cassette sounds horrible. Yeah, and listen, uh, listening to Oasis on Spotify now sounds a million times better. So don't buy the cassette. <laughs> it totally does. Don't buy the cassette. Oh man. All right. So Mike Osper, you set it up great. Do you want to do the honors and bring everyone into the room? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, grab a seat in your vehicle. Uh, set your treadmill speed to three point five with a two point. <laughs> With a 2.0 incline and... Uh, also, and, work on your fitness level if you're running at a 3.5. Hey, well, no, ju- no judgment. No judgment. Maybe it's, maybe it's walking day. Um, <laughs> and enjoy my conversation with Mike Cosper. All right. Well, Mike, thanks so much uh, for coming on In the Room. Uh, appreciate it. We're going to uh, talk about uh, your new book, Recapturing the Wonder, uh, and get into some of that. But just to start, I would love to um, just hear, so where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I've uh, been in the Louisville area since I was about 10. Um, before that, we lived for a couple of years in, in Houston, Texas, and then prior to that was in Miami. But uh, so the vast majority of my life is is here in Louisville. I kind of Florida still has some nostalgic roots for me from you know my early early childhood. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I love the city. Been here, um, but the, like I said, the vast majority of my life, I really love love this place. Awesome. Uh, we were just talking that you know I was in Louisville at um, Sojourn, uh, the church you're at for or are at, and. Um, uh, one of my favorite things is I saw a billboard there about like how people pronounce Louisville and it was, okay. it, it had a list of like four or five of them starting with the ones that were like right. Lou, Louisville and then went to the proper pronunciation. So I'll do my best right. as we talk exactly. to, to make sure to pronounce it right. But, um, 
<laughs> so, so when did you uh, when did you come to faith? I uh, I grew up in a Christian home, and faith was always it was always taken seriously in our house. I, I feel like there's sort of two stories. I mean, there's there's one story where, in a sense, I don't know a time that I wasn't a Christian. Yeah. Like it was always, you know, it was always very real to me and very present to me. Um, and you know, I walked an aisle when I was. Uh, when I was seven years old and got baptized and, and all that. Um, but then I had kind of an awakening to grace, I'd say, when I was about 15 years old. Okay. And had this kind of encounter at a, at a you know, it's a, it's a cliche from the 90s, but at a Christian rock concert. You yeah. Know, had, this, had this encounter with God and with the gospel in a way that just really woke me up and made me, made me understand the cross, made me understand my standing before God as, as, as a child of God that was fully accepted. And it really kind of transformed the trajectory of my life. Um, so, so yeah, I, I count, I kind of count both of those experiences yeah. as legit in, yeah. in different ways that the Lord was working in my life. That's awesome. Do you, do you remember the band at the concert? Yeah, it was a band called Johnny Q public. Yeah. Uh, I remember them. Yeah. they, they, I saw them, uh, that was the first time I saw them play, and the guy, the lead singer, kind of preached about a 45-minute sermon in the middle of the set. Wow. And, uh, and, it was, and two things about it were amazing. One was, I was there, I didn't have any Christian friends at the time. I had very few, I should say. Um, and after that night, I kind of ended up getting plugged in at these ministries. It was a small show, there were probably 40 people there. And there are five or six people who, to this day, are my best friends that I didn't know at the time that were at that show that night. That's awesome. Um, um, And then the other thing that's interesting is that I saw that band play probably half a dozen more times in the next few years, and he never never preached at any of the other shows that I saw. Wow. Um, So I really think think it was this weird, not weird, but... uh, you know, this movement of the spirit. I mean, the whole, when he was done, the whole room was on their knees. People were weeping. It was just a powerful, yeah. it was a powerful moment. And, uh, yeah, awesome. I'll sure never forget it. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, now I know, uh, you, I think I first was introduced to you and your ministry, you know, as a worship pastor at, at Sojourn. And so, uh, when did, when you, obviously you, I know you play guitar and, and, you know, when did you kind of start into into music that obviously eventually led to uh, your involvement in, in leading worship? But when did that all start for you? Started started honestly about the same same time that I came to faith. Maybe a few months before um, before that concert, I had I had friends that had started playing guitar and were, were starting you know garage bands and all that and. It really appealed to me. Um, I was in kind of a musical family. My my brother and sister were both musicians. My mom was a music major, so there was just always music going on in our house. Yeah. And um, and I had played the trumpet, you know, in like junior high. Um, but I I gave that up, bought a guitar, and started playing music, playing in bands, and then. Um, maybe a year after that, the worship minister at our church. Uh, reached out, found out I was playing guitar. 
Well, so we had a big youth ministry, uh, youth ministry with a Thursday night program that would have like a couple hundred kids. Okay. And so I was running the house band for that youth ministry gotcha. by the time I was like 16, 17. And this uh, worship pastor at the church needed a guitar player and reached out to me, a guy named Mike Frazier, and um, really mentored me for the next couple of years and allowed me to serve. You know, I was the youngest on that team by probably 20 years. Wow. Um, and it was just a really interesting environment for to get thrown in. Um, it was it was a rich ministry. It was it was deep community. Um, that group of people were um, they were you know reading Dallas Willard and Richard Foster together, and mm. you know having serious nights of prayer and reflection. And I just kind of got thrown into the mix with them, and um, really look look back on that fondly. Um, kind of a unique experience, but yeah. that was what got me first involved with worship ministry, and then um, and then through just kind of, again, kind of the garage band scene, um, ended up getting hooked up with some other musicians that were worship leaders, and so I, I was the guitar player that would jump in and play with different guys at camps and at yeah. Wednesday night youth services or youth rallies or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of my that was kind of my role for a couple of years. It's interesting. I, so I had a similar experience, just as far as um, being significantly younger than most everyone on a worship team, um, and just uh, in God's grace and providence, had a um, older couple who just kind of took me under their wing and uh, introduced me to the idea of theology. Um, I mean, I was probably 15, 16 at the time, um, introduced me to guys like John Piper and, um, and, and kind of helped me understand the importance of, uh, theology and worship. And I look back at that and think about like, how fortunate was I that, you know, it wasn't, I didn't necessarily, I had a great youth pastor, um, as well, but, uh, not necessarily didn't get thrown into one where it was like, Hey, we want you to be as wild and silly as possible and make sure everyone jumps up and down. Um, you know, but, but yeah, that's, 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 I can relate to that for sure. Um, for sure. So, so you ended up uh, at Sojourn as a worship pastor, and then I know um, in, uh, was it 2016 that you founded uh, Harbor Media? Yeah, that's right. I, so I helped, helped plant the church. Um, we were, we're about, I was about 20 years old, and the church was planted in the year 2000, and served there as um, the pastor of worship and creative arts, and, um, and you know, super thankful for all of that. Like, no, I have nothing negative to say about my ministry years, except that this this time kind of came a couple years ago where I had this sense of growing sense of urgency about this intersection of faith and culture, mm-hmm. and particularly where it came, when it came to ordinary Christians in the marketplace um, being well served. Um, with with resources and being well served and, and thinking through the issues and and the questions that are so urgent right now. Yeah, um, I think part of that was the fact that our culture has been kind of on a on a ramp up <laughs> into a greater and greater frenzy yeah. of insanity. Um, yeah, you have to look at you have to look well at was, you have to look at Twitter for about thirteen seconds to feel feel some. Oh of my that. gosh. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean today in particular is brutal. I know. Um, yeah, I keep thinking it can't get it can't get worse, and then the next day comes and right, it apparently does. So anyway, sorry. Right, right, yeah. Then the president of the United States suggests uh, delicensing all the national yeah. media outlets who don't so. agree with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So. Um, so yeah, so I had this sense of urgency, and and then had my own kind of encounter with, um, uh, we'll call it like the angry left that was very hostile to Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we had a ministry at, at Sojourn that did, you know, that that was trying to serve the arts community in the city. We ran an art center and music venues, and um, and it thrived for about three years, and then a. Uh, a local, very lefty, independent newspaper um, published a hit piece about us and basically accused us of, you know, being a big bait and switch and mm. and of being these misogynist, you know, gay bashing bigots and all this. Yeah. And it it shut us down. It forced us to close the gallery. Uh. And uh, um, and so it just became apparent to me, like, hey, this is this is going to happen to probably to churches first, but it's going to happen to ordinary Christians um, as well. Yeah. And so how do we think through, how do we think through that? How do we equip people for that? How do we not just equip them to face it as, you know, face the cultural pressure, but equip them to experience real spiritual formation in the midst of it and to become more like Jesus. And, you know, I think ultimately when we talk about cultural engagement, like, um, I think one of the most important things that we can do is be transformed into the image of Christ um, so that so that by the virtue of who we are, um, we're able to to best respond to yeah. whatever it is that makes um, so so that's that's kind of the mission of harbor media we're we're sort of inching our way into that world and hoping that um, through podcasting and and in the future probably some other outlets. Um, we're able to to help equip ordinary Christians. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, in the years before, you know, launching Harbor Media, uh, you had a um, a specific ability to kind of speak to faith and culture in that intersection. Uh, in whether it's articles or, or uh, even, you know, I've heard you preach a time or two, and uh, and so I think it's a really uh, just to encourage you. I think it's a really um, awesome. Um, venture to step out and to do, and I think you're uh, well equipped to do it. And I've been following along and, and really been uh, enjoying it so far, and so excited to kind of see where that goes for you. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate that, man, a lot. Um, so, along those lines, uh, your new book, Recapturing the Wonder uh, Transcendent Faith in a Disenchanted World, kind of speaks to a lot of uh, those themes. Um, so, I'm just curious kind of what led to um, what led to you writing this book? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, I, um, so, in 2013, I wrote a book called Rhythms of Grace that was. Um, that was, you know, like I said earlier, I was a worship pastor, and it was kind of the book that I wished someone had handed me when I'd gotten the job, mm-hmm. you know, 15 years before. Um, kind of a basic vision of here's worship biblically, and then here's worship historically, um, but written at a level that that an ordinary guy who gets thrust into the job can <laughs> can read it and kind of catch up. Yeah. Um, and the heart of that book was to say, like 
the church has a job together. You know, worship is this work that we do, this work of the people that we do that is meant to transform us into the image of Jesus. And it's meant to prepare us for the rest of life. Um, the reason the church should confess its sins together and lament sin together and rejoice together and all these different things is it's kind of a microcosm of all of life. Mm-hmm. And so it, at the end of that project, I I began to kind of think, well, maybe the natural next step from here would be to talk about the rest of life. What are the, you know, if these are the habits and practices that should shape the life of, uh, of the church corporate, uh, what kind of habits in practices should shape the life of the individual Christian. And again, to go back to something earlier as well, um, I had, I, I really feel like one of the greatest gifts I was given as a, as a teenager was this interest in the work of people like Richard Foster and Dallas Willard that are really, really built around thinking, understanding the spiritual disciplines and spiritual yeah. transformation. So I wanted to kind of bring those worlds together, and, um, and I, I started working uh, started working on this book and got fairly far down the line in writing a book um, that was primarily about spiritual disciplines. And I ran into this brick wall named Charles Taylor, um, <laughs> the Canadian philosopher. Um, and Taylor has this obnoxiously large book um, called A Secular Age that... Uh, I'd, I'd seen quoted in a bunch of different places and decided to pick it up. And in a, in a really weird way, um, this dense academic book um, connected at a heart level with me. I mean, it was like someone was reading my mail wow. in terms of what spiritual experience is like in a secular age. This sense of all of our, you know, Taylor says that all of our beliefs is always plagued by is always plagued by doubt, like we believe under the conditions of, of doubt, because the primary posture of the world around us is not pure unbelief, but uh, a kind of pervasive skepticism, yeah. um, and that undermines faith um, of all kinds. And as I reflected on my own experiences, I just saw, gosh, this is so, this is so true for me. Like this is what I, this is the world I know. And it dramatically shifted where the where the book went, um, um, because I ended up really feeling like, hey, I feel like I need to. And I'll say this too: it, it, what Taylor said really connected with a number of ideas um, that I'd seen by people like James K. Smith and others on how culture has formed us. You know, yeah. what? How are we shaped, and, and what are the beliefs, the underlying beliefs that we may not even be aware of? Yeah. And so shifted the direction of the book to kind of to, to kind of try to focus on um, what does spiritual experience feel like right now? Um, what is it? You know, why are we living in this kind of spiritual desert, um, which is this common experience for most Christians? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then what can be done about it? And so that's kind of the themes of the book. Each chapter, I try to sort of explore a way in which we're experiencing, you know, what Taylor calls disenchantment. Um, um, And I try to to look at various aspects of the Christian life through those lenses and then suggest practices that, um, you know, these historic practices that the Church has has had that I think can reawaken us to to wonder into an ordinary day-to-day kind of experience of God's presence. Yeah. Yeah, I, I... 
I think that, um, so I think you, you accomplished your goal because I think you, you did that, uh, well. And so there's aspects of it that I walked away from, um, where there is some practical, you know, you finish each chapter and there is some practical, here's, here's what you can do, or here's what this practice might look like. And so I think there is an aspect of, um, growth and spiritual disciplines and, and what that could look like for a person. But, um, for me, it, it kind of, um, um, help me step back and look at, so, so one, where, where am I shaped by practices that I'm just haven't even thought about? Um, but then also to look at, um, how, how can we, for me, I thought, how can we go about, um, uh, those of us who are in ministry, how can we go about leading people kind of down this path? Because I think, um, uh, your book to me sort of, um, uh, resonates with, uh, you know, you mentioned, um, uh, James K. Smith and, um, uh, you know, I had read the Benedict option. And I know you had Rod, uh, is it pronounced drier? Um, uh, Dreyer, yeah. yeah, I know you had him on your podcast, and and um, uh, there seems to be this kind of arrow pointing this direction um, of kind of reexamining um, some of the cynicism, some of the and some of the practices um, uh, of our culture that has shaped us, but also the practices maybe that we've forgotten as Christians um, that have always been a part of our history. And so I thought you did that really well. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Uh, I don't mean it to, I don't mean this as a celebration uh, necessarily, but it nothing's been nothing in my life has been more of a challenge, I think mm. um, um, vocationally anyway, than writing that book. Um, yeah. It was because it was it was deeply personal for me. It was revelatory for me of, of where I was and and what, what kinds of things I was facing. And I'm sure it wasn't very fun to be halfway down a manuscript for a book and change the direction of it. <laughs> Not for me or for the publisher. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, they, were, they were great, though. They were gracious. Yeah, and it was it was worth it in the end uh, from my perspective. So thank you. Um, thank you. Uh, so. Uh, on the show, you know, we have a good amount of um, ministry leaders, pastors, worship leaders listening. And I know as I was reading the book, I kind of started to think of, so what are what are some ways that, um, that I can help? Obviously, this book's written for people to implement in their lives personally, but what are some ways that we can um, start to head this direction um, as as a church and as, um, Mm -hmm. um, you know, wherever people might be listening, but as their, their community of faith. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm just curious, um, you know, you talked about churches who kind of attempt to like, quote, make something happen. Um, and, and I know I've been in a lot of those, I've helped lead some of those services. I've been a part of that as well, where there's sort of this pressure of, I need to manufacture an experience. Um, And so what are some ways, what are some ways you think people can maybe stop doing that? Um, but then also some ways that they can, um, maybe change some behaviors so that, um, we're not leading people to simply an emotional experience. Although I know emotions are involved in worship, but, um, a much more transcendent, um, experience. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the first thing that we have to to reckon with is, do we believe that God is going to show up when we gather and we pray and we call on his name? Um, Because if the answer to that question is yes, it takes a whole lot of pressure off of us from a, uh, 
uh, from a sort of performative perspective, and yeah. um, and it invites us to it invites us to ask different questions about about what we do. Um, the the trouble is, like the flip side of this, uh, is that the trouble is that um, people <laughs> people are not uh, how do I say this. People are not wired to want that. Mm. Um, are we, we live in a culture where people have gotten addicted to kind of noise and energy and all of this. And so um, if they enter a church service where, where there's, a, there's a quiet confidence that God is going to speak through his scripture, um, speak through his song, speak through his people as they gather, you know, uh, with one another, it it's a foreign, it's such foreign territory. Yeah. Um, and, and in a sense, like you're not giving the people what they want, what they, what they want is the noise. What they want is the hype. Yeah. Um, so I say that to say, I don't know exactly what the answer to your, to your question is. Um, I really struggle with it. Um, you know, I think a perfect example of this is that, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with a lot of worship leaders. I've coached a lot of worship leaders, um, different sized churches all over the country. And, you know, worship leaders get excited about a theology of worship and they start looking at the history of worship and the kinds of practices that have shaped, um, the, the, the gathered church for centuries. And they go, man, there's, there's so much here. Like we can really teach the church to pray. We can really, um, we can really learn to confess our sins together. We can do all of these things. Yeah. And as they begin to implement those practices, they get a tremendous amount of pushback from their congregations and from their pastors. Yeah. Who, um, who at the end of the day, look at music as a way to get people hyped up before a sermon. Yeah, it's like the opening um, band. Yeah, it's well, yeah, it's the it's the appetizer before the real meal yeah. before the thing that really matters, which is the sermon. Um, and so I think, I think we have a long way to go. Um, I think we have a long way to go in, uh, in embracing a vision of worship that is, um, and by worship, I mean like the life of the gathered church. Mm -hmm. We have a long way to go in, in towards embracing something that is, um, holistic and is driven primarily by a vision of spiritual formation. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's on both sides of the equation, you know, pastors and worship leaders have to have faith that God will work through things that are, that are less driven by technology and, and by spectacular performances. Um, but congregations as well have to cultivate a hunger for the word of God and the presence of God in, uh, in ways that are more subtle than, you know, as Bart Simpson once described, cult contemporary worship, like smoke and Tybo. <laughs> yeah, which is an amazing description. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> as one who had the Tybo um, VHS set growing up as a kid, it really, nice. really connects with me. Nice. So. <laughs> That's great. Um, so yeah, I think it's to come back to it. Like, I just think it's really, really complicated, and I think part of the reason why I think recapturing the wonder is in a sense kind of matters in the conversation is um, as individuals, 
we have to sort of understand the ways we're complicit mm. in a culture of hype because we don't um, we don't know how to look for anything else. We're so formed by uh, kind of the adrenal gland driven world around us. Yeah, um, we don't know how to look for anything else, mm. and so you know spiritual disciplines and embracing some quiet, embracing some solitude, embracing rest, um, practices like fasting and like, you know, prayer of examine where we confess our sins and really examine our lives. These kinds of things I think can shape the heart in a way that makes us more predisposed to, um, uh, to experience and and to appreciate the presence of God in in the more subtle ways that I think He is more likely to show up. Yeah, yeah, and I I think too the like what when we as so so speaking to a pastor or a worship uh, pastor worship leader whatever um, a person might be as we start to embrace these things ourselves. I think as we go there first, then we can take others there as well and sort of, um, I think, do our best to, to sort of be tour guides along the way of saying, here's, here's what yeah. we're doing and here's why we're doing it and here's, here's, uh, here's what's been done in the past and here's how it connects us to our history as believers and uh, just, just all the ways that you can kind of pull some of the scales off the eyes of going, um, you know, LED screens and smoke um, are not um, are not the only things that can move us deeply and move our emotions. And mm-hmm. and and not to to knock anyone with the LED screens or smoke, but um, just pointing out sure. um, the advantage and the benefit of um, some of the the rhythms that historically have always been a part of the church, but maybe in the last thirty forty years we've kind of stepped away from. Yeah, I totally agree. I uh, totally agree, and I think, um, and I think to that end, we we can't go places. You know, when you talk about being a tour guide, we can't go places we haven't gone. Yeah. And um, if our own hearts are aren't tuned to, you know, to to pay attention in those ways, um, we can't fake it in front of people. It just, you know, it it just won't work. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you, and you know, we were kind of on this topic of, of, uh, corporate gathered, uh, worship. Um, so when, uh, when you kind of look at the landscape of, um, worship in the church right now, what, what, what's something that encourages you, something that you're, you know, excited, stoked on, gr- pumped to see, and then what's something that you feel like, and this is, this is a, um, an opportunity where we, we need to be careful and maybe need to, um, maybe need to grow a little bit, um, as far as the, the generally speaking. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, one of the one of the interesting things. So at, at Sojourn, we were uh, we, we released a couple of records of uh, retuned hymns a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, and there was kind of this movement where people at um, you know Indelible Grace was doing these these records. People like Sandra McCracken and Matthew Smith, um, uh, Bifrost Arts came out with a record of retuned hymns, and there were there were quite a few people kind of all at once who 
have been, you know, independently or inspired by one another, uh, sort of rediscovered the hymnal and started started writing songs. Yeah. What's um, What's interesting to see now, I guess you know, in some cases, ten years later or more, are people like Sandra McCracken um, continuing to write. I think in the in the spirit of those of those songs that she immersed herself in. Yeah. Um, but writing new things um, and writing really thoughtful music for the church, mm. really singable music for the church. Um, Isaac Wardell from Bifrost Arts just released a new project called The Porter's Gate that is, again, kind of in the spirit of theologically rich, church-centric kind of music. Yeah. Um, but it's new stuff. It's new lyrics. It's new texts. Um, it's really brilliant stuff. This this record they released is called Work Songs, and it's hmm. uh, all these songs are on, on themes of vocation and on how our work matters and fits into creation and um, fits into the larger story of, of life, death, and resurrection. I mean, it, it's it's remarkable. Yeah. Um, when he first told me he was doing a record of songs about work, I thought, that's going to be terrible. <laughs> 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 like, what are you going to do? Think about the plumber and yeah. the, yeah. And the, the teacher electrician. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, but man, uh, I mean, there is actually a song where they call out vocations by name, and it's and they did a beautiful job with it. It's amazing. It's awesome. <laughs> Excuse me. So, I think it's cool to see that kind of how that movement has continued in some sense. Yeah. Um, I think what's discouraging is that it's it's really small, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think that those things are such outliers in terms of what the church is used to and looking for, um, and um, so I, I think what what I hope for uh, continually is that is that Christians will just become. I think I think Christians are dissatisfied with their Sunday morning experiences. Mm. Like I don't think it's a matter of them becoming dissatisfied. I think they are. Yeah. And they're filling that gap with other things in their lives, whether it's entertainment or addiction or whatever it might be. Um, I I hope, and this is part of what I'm after in in the book, is is to help people become aware of the fact that, like, hey, you're actually spiritually deeply dissatisfied, mm. and because you've allowed your faith to be formed and shaped in these disenchanted ways. And one of the best gifts you could give yourself is to kind of wake up to the ways that you're frustrated and that you're full of doubt and that the scriptures have become lifeless to you. Yeah. And, uh, um, and embrace some different ways of, of engaging with these things that might awaken, awaken your heart. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, it's like, um, you know, I remember, I remember growing up, uh, you know, going to, going to restaurants and as I got older, uh, you know, starting to go to maybe nicer places. And, you know, as I got married and my wife and I would go out on dates, maybe even a little nicer places. And all of a sudden it's like, like, I didn't realize a steak should taste like this. Like I thought, I thought Applebee's was just killing it. And it turns out you know, it turns out there's something far better. And, uh, I think, I think, 
it's a little bit of the same same journey for people is and I think that's the responsibility yeah. we have as well as again those who might facilitate um, a service or a gathering is to um, put a better meal on the table so that people can yeah. taste and, and realize maybe even that maybe they, they they they're surprised by it but realize man I was I was a little malnourished uh, previously yeah. and uh, and and I think that's the that's the challenge, and the to me, that's something that's exciting and interesting. And uh, I think your book really helps um, continue to point us in that direction. And uh, and uh, I think is going to be a, a big help for people. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. It's certainly my goal. Good. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, and, and coming on. We'll make sure to, to put a link uh, all over the place for people to pick up uh, Recapturing the Wonder. And uh, I, I'd encourage everyone, too, to uh, check out Harbor Media and um, and everything you guys have going on there. Um, it's uh, Is it harbormedia.com? Harbormedia.com. And then our, our kind of flagship podcast is called Cultivated, which is conversations about faith and work. And we talk to writers, artists, um, activists, various folks about kind of faith and vocation in different ways. And, uh, and they can find that at, uh, cultivatedpodcast.com. Awesome. Well, make sure to check those out. And again, Mike, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on in the room. Thanks a lot, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. Hey, well, my thanks to Mike uh, for sitting down and talking. Uh, would highly re- recommend his book, Recapturing the Wonder, to you, and also would would recommend you checking out Harbor Media. Um, I know they're in the midst of a season of Cultivated um, and releasing podcasts and they have previous episodes available, uh, but it's really good stuff, really interesting people, and Mike is a good interviewer, so um, would highly recommend that. And uh, I, I would highly recommend taking a nice walk in the rain, listening to With Arms Wide Open, and have yourself a good cry yeah. to a creep record, but only on a Discman. Only on a Discman. It will sound better than any other way. And <laughs> in about three years, Urban Outfitters are going to start to sell CDs, um, just as, just as Walmart stops, they're going to start selling them. I'm sure. Do you know what I just realized about you? What? I like, I like learning new things after like whatever it's been yeah. over a decade of friendship. When you're telling a story and intentionally, like, you know, it's a funny story. Yeah. You have, this should not be on the podcast, but you have a very like president Obama cadence about you. Oh, I like that. It's not like an impression where I'm, you sound like him, but you have a cadence in the way that you speak when you're telling a yeah. story that is very Obama-ish. I just heard that I'm a little bit presidential. Really? Well, but, yeah. Listen, I mean, that's what compared, you just said. Compared to what we have going on right now, we're all a little presidential. Honestly. Yeah, you know how they would tell you as a kid, like, you can be anything. You could be president. I used Everybody to. Everybody believes that now. I was going to say, like, there was a while where I was like, I think I can be a lot of things, but I can't be president. And now I'm like, I don't know. I have a shot. I don't know. We all have a shot. Yeah. Get, get right. some reality TV going. I'm working on the YouTube game. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. So. All right. Well, you can find uh, more stuff from us online. You can find me on social media at Ryan Hughley. You can find uh, me. What do you want to plug? You have like 10 things going now. So Yeah. You can find me uh, at Scott Holthouse. Uh, encourage, you as, encourage you as well to check out House and Shield um, on social media, on YouTube. Uh, everything is House and Shield, uh, houseandshield.com, and 
um, yeah, check it out. Let me know what you think. Cool. Thanks so much for listening. And we will be back next week with a new episode.